Virginia gets a second straight win and is building some momentum for its stretch run. Virginia Tech got a better performance on defense, but still came up short against Miami. And following a firing in the SEC, what should be the expectation for college football coaches this season? All that, March Madness in one spot, and Aaron McFarland's puppy chow this week on Teal and Barber. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Teal and Barber, Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper and joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? Good afternoon, Mike. Did you scarf down some lunch before we uh, put on the headsets? (laughs) Well, I'm I'm on a diet, so I ate a salad in between the uh, Virginia Tech football player zooms and, and recording this show. So uh, I'm a bit peckish. the the salad uh, The salad didn't quite do it for me. You're hangry, in other words, huh? Oh yes, yes. I guess with my lack of uh, my lack of real food, I'm I'm a bit uh, on edge myself. So hold on, everybody. We're going to go for a ride <laughs> now, David. Over the weekend, South Carolina fired football coach Will Muschamp. The Gamecocks were coming off a loss to Mississippi. It dropped them to two and five. He was only 28 and 30 in his five years there at South Carolina. But David, is now the time to be judging coaches on their win-loss records? Now, I asked Virginia Tech coach Justin Fuente about that. He said, you got to understand that when you take the field, whether it's a pandemic or you got guys out or whatever it is, they're going to keep score and it's going to count. Obviously, he's right. Here's UVA coach Bronco Mendenhall's answer to that same question. I'm not sure that uh, any of us as college football coaches ever signed up for reasonable. Um, We're in a results-oriented profession, regardless of circumstance, in terms of, um, yeah, our livelihood. Um, Now, each of us then choose how we want to go about that and how we want to mitigate that. And for me, the purpose-driven part, the player development part, the safety of the players – That's non-negotiable, and I believe you can do that and have success. But if for some reason there wasn't enough success, uh, the piece that comes with the first part is longer lasting. Um, But to say that the other, meaning the outcome, is not relevant, we have clearly learned, and I've seen firsthand from the minute we played our first game to now where coach is, this is the second coach that has been released in, um, that it's just a reminder of uh, what's valued. Um, uh, regardless of circumstance, in the world of college football. And and I think that's uh, – I'll just stop there. David, am I being Pollyannish now to think that this isn't the time to be firing coaches who just aren't winning enough? A little bit, Mike, because let's remember, it's the SEC. And in the <laughs> SEC, it just means more, right? <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> right? And, and, and the interesting thing to Broncos – response to your question on Monday was, you know, he mentioned there was a second coach who has been relieved. Well, he knows firsthand about that because that coach was Gary Anderson Mm -hmm. at Utah State. And that is where Bronco's oldest son plays. So Bronco is um, quite aware of of the situation out West. And hey, I don't know any of the inner workings it's at South Carolina, whether the administration there had an issue with how Will Muschamp was 
running the program and whether this went beyond wins and losses. But but to your pointed question, is this the season to be evaluating coaches solely on wins and losses? I think most, if not all, reasonable people would agree. Absolutely not. Yeah. And, and, you know, I asked Justin Fuente and Bronco Mendenhall also the idea of, and no coach wants to say this, right? Every coach wants to say, hey, we're trying to win a championship because they are. They're, they're trying to win every game out. They're trying to do the best they can do wins and losses wise. Of course, that's that's why you keep score. But I asked them both, hey, at the end of the year, if you safely guided your program to play 11 or 12, if you play in a bowl games, don't you think that there's a measure of success to that? And I think they both reluctantly kind of agreed like, hey, yeah, we're not we're not setting a low bar. We're not saying that's all we're here for. But if we can get through this year, play a full schedule and and end up you know competitive and, and fielding a team, that's a pretty darn good job by these guys. And, and that's the, the approach I take or the opinion I have. Yeah, and, and, and not just them. I mean, everybody in the country who is trying to, to, to navigate this. I mean, I, I keep coming back to it because I, I, I thought it was perfect. When Justin Fuente told us about his encounter with the Navy SEAL that he brought in to speak to his team, just get to breakfast, then get to lunch, then get to dinner. I mean, that's what these folks, and, and in large measure, every one of us, since March, when this country essentially shut down over COVID, we've all just been trying to get through the day, dude. And some are really, really hard. And, and that's that's exactly the point, I think, that, hey, if there's a coach out there that goes 11-0, and 0, absolutely, you can laud the job he did, right? You can do a great job in the face of pandemic. But if things aren't exactly where you want them and, and your team is you know, six and five when you thought it might be eight and three. I don't know. I just, to me, there, there has to be a little more restraint. And then David, on the other side of that, and again, my reason is is the virus and everything these guys are being asked to deal with. But what about the financial component? I mean, athletic mm-hmm. departments across the country are hurting. They're feeling the pinch. They lost revenue from last year's NCAA basketball tournament. They lost revenue from this year's football ticket sales. Will Muschamp is going to be owed reportedly about $15 million for his buyout. Now, there, there have been some angry fan rumblings about Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. He'd be owed over $10 million if they let him go. How bad are the optics attached to essentially, and I know not everyone will agree with this, but essentially wasting that kind of money right now? It's, it's unconscionable fiscal management or mismanagement. And, you know, South Carolina, Williams-Brice Stadium seats upwards of 80,000 people. Think of the football or football ticket revenue that the Gamecocks are losing out on this year. I mean, everyone, Whip Whip Babcock at Virginia Tech told our friend Will Stewart from Tech Sideline that the Hokies are looking at a revenue shortfall of 30 to 50 million dollars in fiscal 2020-21. The SEC is no different than the ACC. South Carolina is going to be in the same boat with a with a deficit or a revenue shortfall in the tens of millions of dollars. And you know, maybe there's some booster who's writing the check for this for Muschamp's buyout. We don't know that. But th- this goes back 
long before this to the people who who signed off on this contract these these gigantic buyouts for these coaches you know P- penn state is having an awful season right in terms of wins and losses oh, yeah. has do you know what james franklin's buyout is if the nittany lions wanted to fire him 38 million dollars don't you want a job like that where if you're bad if your boss thinks you're bad at it you get 38 large to walk away yeah and and isn't it irresponsible as an athletic director as a president who they all sign off on on these Mm -hmm. things to have a contract that could potentially handcuff you and and maybe that's going to be a lesson right, of the pandemic, of some of these guys, it felt like, and, and there's a lot that goes into it, and I, I don't want to be overcritical, but it does feel like sometimes they, they act like they're playing with Monopoly money, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, they're going to put the game away, put it in the box, and and there's no real ramifications. Well, I think the pandemic in a very high level has showed, hey, there are ramifications. And you know, the other thing, you hear this sometimes from ADs when a, a coach is borderline, but they fire him. They say, well, we were losing fan interest. We we're having trouble mm-hmm. selling tickets. David, just my gut on this nobody is going to have a hard time selling tickets next season because fans are going to be so happy and eager to be able to get back in these stadiums. I, I don't think you need to make a drastic move to get butts in the seats next year. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Mike. And uh, people are going to be chomping at the bit to, to tailgate and sit in the stands with, with their peeps. And yeah, and, and this all goes, you mentioned Monopoly money. In in some regard, that's what the SEC and the Big Ten are playing with because their television contracts are so lucrative. And we're, we're talking about annual distributions from the conference office of more than $50 million per school. And for, it was a house of cards. And the minute that money started to evaporate, not completely now, but with with those funds declining because of the pandemic and the subsequent economic crisis, it's it's all collapsed on them. And if this does not cause a reset of the college sports enterprise financially, then it's not going to survive, plain and simple. Absolutely. And it, like I said, maybe it'll be another lesson learned from from the pandemic. Certainly, we've learned plenty of them. But either way, Will Muschamp isn't coaching at South Carolina. Gary Anderson's not coaching anymore at Utah State. Okay, David, on to a couple of coaches who still have their jobs. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's start at UVA, where after a pretty rocky start to the season, Bronco Mendenhall, he seems to have the who's pointed in the right direction. They've won back-to-back games. They upset North Carolina, beat Louisville Saturday. Their defense seems to be rounding into form. I I was at Scott Stadium for the 31-17 win over the Cardinals. Louisville didn't have two of its top offensive weapons. And quarterback Malik Cunningham, he had a big game, okay? He didn't have any trouble moving the ball against (laughs) the Hoos. But Virginia's defense got big plays, three turnovers, two fourth down stops. David, for for a day anyway, it looked a little bit like last year's havoc inducing that, that persona for the defense. Mike, I would argue that they've looked like that for the last three weeks. Uh, I, I thought they did against North Carolina. Hey, I, I know they gave up a ton of points and a ton of yards, but they did wreak havoc and they did get to Sam Howell and they did sack him five times and they did turn the Tar Heels over. And it was the same thing against Miami down in, in South Florida 
where the Hurricanes came in averaging 36 points a game, managed only 19, and that was the game where Charles Snowden first seemed to find his his stride this season. And then, you know, you, you mentioned the turnover Saturday against Louisville. Yeah, Malik Cunningham had a big day, but he also threw a pick six. <laughs> Noah Taylor going 85 yards the other way for, for a touchdown. So absolutely, it's, it's looking like last season's defense. And I think it's been trending that way for some time now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And Bronco Mendenhall, he talked about that defensive resurgence on Monday. Just influencing the game. Um and meaning the outcome through significant plays. We call them havoc plays. We've learned more about the identity of this particular team, this particular defense. We're learning to manage specific players in this very unique year. And we find we found out after about three weeks that's going to require different management in terms of health and freshness and, and how they're prepared. Um, and that's starting to yield a different return. And uh, the, it's not just because the players are trying harder, right? We've had to put some organizational and some preparation things into place that are giving them a better chance in terms of healing, recovering, becoming faster, fresher as the wear and tear of this particular season has taken on. And, and uh, it's starting to show uh, results and at a good time with the, the stretch run coming up. Now, David, we, we've talked about how tough that early season schedule was. Clemson, Miami, North Carolina. Uh, now Virginia gets its plus one this weekend. It's a infinitely winnable matchup with a bad FCS team, I think, in, in Abilene Christian. Aside from a victory, David, what do you want to see from Virginia in this game? Mike, if I'm a UVA fan, here's what I want to see. The reserves on the field early in the third quarter and no one on the injury report Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's that's what it comes down to. I look at this and think, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. They're, they're going to win this game. If they don't, there's bigger fish to fry. Um, and you do worry about in a game like this injuries. But to me, this is a game, and kind of to your point, to keep hits off Brennan Armstrong, to keep this game from being a potential injury disaster, I want to see him run the football. And I want to see them run the football with their running backs. And, and we've seen at times a lot of promise from Shane Simpson, um, from Wayne Talapapa, especially in short yardage. We saw some burst from Ronnie Walker, right? He finally got to mm-hmm. play the former Hopewell star who he had to wait for an NCAA waiver. Then he was battling what he said was flu symptoms, which is obviously terrifying when you've got COVID out there and, and who knows uh, you know, what you have when you start to have those symptoms. And uh, those guys ought to have a big game against Abilene Christian. That offensive line ought to have a big game. David, to me, that's got to happen. Yeah. It, if you can't run against Abilene Christian, then when? Uh, and and I, I, I think it's going to be very vanilla. I don't think they, the Cavaliers want to show Florida State anything on, on tape and just be very methodical, be very businesslike, and move on to Florida State. Yeah, and then Florida State, I mean, that program's sort of a mess oh. right now with guys leaving the roster. They're not playing yeah. well. So, David, they've got a chance here to, to really build some momentum before the, the final two ball games, which will be much tougher. Boston College, Virginia Tech, I mean, th- those are going to be uh, toss-up games at, at best. Um, they'll probably maybe even be an underdog to, to, in both or one of those. Um, but they've got a chance to really build some momentum here going into the, those final two. Absolutely. 
And if if they if they hit that final stretch and they're five and five and four entering the the, the BC game, I think that's that, that's ideal. And BC would be at home, and and then they go to Blacksburg to close the regular season. Well, and that's the topic for this week's Take It or Leave It. Thanks, Mike. It is Take It or Leave It. Virginia sits at three and four, and they'd need to go. Three and one the rest of the way to finish with a regular season winning record. Okay, so here's take it or leave it, guys. Will they get it done? Let's start with David. Absolutely. I've been on this train for weeks now. I didn't think after the Carolina game that UVA would lose before Blacksburg. And I don't know that they'll lose there, but I think Virginia is going to beat Abilene Christian is going to beat Florida State and is going to beat Boston College and will be 6-4 and four entering the regular season finale. Okay, Mike. So to me, Boston College is the interesting one because I think I don't think we have any doubts this weekend. I think they'll beat Florida State even though it's on the road. We, we just hit on kind of the mess that is Tallahassee. I don't know about Boston College. <laughs> I think that's a, a good team and a good game mm-hmm. and um, – you know, I don't know that you can just put that in the win column. And it would certainly be interesting if, if that Blacksburg Tech game uh, has it all on the line. I'm going to say they get it done because I think they do get one of those two at least. And and yeah, there's a chance that they get all of them. And w- when the dust settles, we feel pretty good about what Virginia football did this year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. If if, if the Cavaliers are sitting there at, at, at seven and four riding a seven game winning streak, yeah, they'd feel really good. And David, I, I just want to hit this quickly because you brought this topic up with the coaches this week. The idea of after everything you have to go through in a week to get ready, the COVID protocols, all the stress, the the angst of the testing and um, everything else, the altered way you practice, the altered way you get your meals. You were asking these guys, hey, <laughs> assuming that you have the opportunity to play in a bowl game, do you guys want to sign up for another few weeks of this? Uh, I was curious, what, what did you think of their responses? I thought, I thought both... Justin Fuente and Bronco Mendenhall were were quite frank about it. And, you know, Fuente said, hey, I I understand the question. We haven't really thought about it. But, yes, these protocols are very taxing. And I don't know if if we'd be up for extending. Now, Virginia Tech's in a little bit of a a different situation because of the 27-year bowl streak Mm -hmm. and how important that is to the program. And as Dax Hollifield, the junior linebacker, told us today, it's clearly very important to the players as well. Now, UVA is eyeing a fourth consecutive bowl. That would tie a program record. Uh, for consecutive years in postseason. But Bronco Mendenhall framed it you know, in a financial uh, way, th- saying, hey, we all know that money is the reason we're playing this season in the first place. And what will the financial pressures be from, from bowls and, and conferences? Because these bowls provide ESPN with holiday program. But you know, these bowls are not going to be the same. There's usually events surrounding them and the players get to go out and experience the town. Or if they're in a bowl in Charlotte, they get to go to Charlotte Motor Speedway and ride <laughs> around the track in a, in a race car, right? Yeah, yeah. I, none of that happens this season. not going to be any fans. not going to be any tourism. I mean, two bowls of our, two ACC bowls have already canceled. The Holiday Bowl in San Diego and the new Fenway Bowl in Boston. And oh, by the way, the Sun Bowl in El Paso is in a heap of trouble because Mm -hmm. COVID rates are through the roof 
in that community. So I think the supply of bowls is going to dwindle. And I'm almost certain there will be some teams, I don't know how many, that will say, thanks, but no. Yeah, it's, it's a great point because we go every year and, and delve into the finances of it. And the teams often lose money actually going to the bowl game. Right. I mean, it, it comes back around conference money. And um, you mentioned the partnership with ESPN and the programming, but um, it's not a financially it's not a boon to, to go to El Paso to play in the Sun Bowl. Um, and on top of that, with everything else going on and, and extending the risk, extending the risk three or four weeks, I, I thought Broncos point, though, about the money was was really big that basically I took it as, hey, we might want to go to a bowl if we've earned it, but we might be told that's not happening this year. And I get it. I'm prepared for that and probably good for some fans to be prepared for that possibility as well. Yeah. And, and bowls can cost schools money in large measure though, because of the ticket guarantee that they have to provide. They have to, they have to say, yes, we will sell X number of tickets. Well, that, that component is off the table this year. So that will help the schools and their lodging won't be as, as expensive. It's going to be, Fly in the day before the game, fly home that night. It is going to be a no-frills trip. It's it's just going to be like a road game. And that's even how the college football playoff is approaching this postseason. Yeah, and then the question we talked earlier about the long-term impact of COVID and you know on contracts and how people. I wonder if there aren't going to be some bowls that say, "Hey, you know, having the teams come in the day before um, <laughs> worked out." You know, there's certain bowls in cities that that really live for it and for putting on the show, and you know, especially yeah. places that don't have a lot of other events. But there's other places that might look at this and say. Hey, we're a high enough profile game. We don't need, <laughs> we don't need yeah. the frills after this. I, I think we might be headed for an, a frillless America <laughs> following COVID, but we'll see. We'll see where that all ends up. Um, now, Virginia Tech. We, we just talked about Virginia, how they could get to or over five hundred. The Hokies are at five hundred, and and this past week, the defense it looked capable of winning some games, but it, it was the offense this time that that sputtered in crunch time. David, you, you were in Blacksburg for this one. What did you see? Well, Miami fortunate to number one play the game you know we've been on the the covid train on this episode and the hurricanes were one offensive lineman away from having to scrap and lo and behold something else has transpired in coral gables because mm. as you well know it hit our inbox last night at 5 45 six acc games or five league games and one non-conference game have been rescheduled because of an outbreak at Miami. All three of the Hurricanes' closing regular season games have been reshuffled. So the Hurricanes were depleted, and the Hokies were ahead by 11 points twice, once in the first half and then late in the third quarter. But 24 points weren't going to be enough against that offense, and you just knew that Virginia Tech was going to have to score some more. And it couldn't. Last five possessions, three punts, a really, really crippling interception that Hendon Hooker threw. The game's only turnover and then just ran out of time at the end. So that's how the final five possessions went. And just couldn't muster any points against a pretty stout defense. You know, Jalen Phillips and uh, that crew up front for the Hurricanes, they're really good. Yeah, and, you know, the thing that I took away, because Khalil Herbert is back, but he's not 100% back, right? And and no. 
to me, watching that game, you could tell one of the big impacts that Herbert has, and obviously the biggest impact is carrying the ball, right, and making big plays. But when he's in the game, defenses are so aware of him, it really opens things up for Hendon Hooker, whether he's running or throwing. And I got the vibe, especially as the game went on, that even when Herbert was in there, Miami's defense was kind of not too worried about him because they knew, hey, he's not 100%. And I thought that took away some of uh, the dimension and the pop to the offense. It did. And, you know, and he's, he's a, he's a capable pass receiver out of, out of the backfield and, you know, yards after contact, everything. But as, as Justin Fuente told us this week, you know, hamstrings can be so tricky and you just don't want him to, to pull that thing where all of a sudden, you know, he's on the shelf for several weeks, probably for the rest of the season, Mm -hmm. if, if something bad happened now. So it'll be interesting to see how they deploy him this Saturday at Pittsburgh. Again, if that game is played because the Panthers had to shut down their operation and, and their game against Georgia tech was postponed last week for COVID problems in both camps. Yeah, we'll see what happens with Pittsburgh. We'll also see what happens with the Hokies who played Miami, who now has an outbreak. I mean, we don't yeah. to- totally know how that works, but I can't imagine that, you know, if you're doing contact tracing, I'd imagine some Hokies came in pretty close contact with some Hurricanes on Saturday from from what I was watching. Now, the defense did take a step forward for Tech, and it comes after Coach Justin Fuente got a bit more involved in the preparation. He, he's taken over running the scout team, making sure the defense gets a, a sharp look going into games, and he told told me Monday when I asked that he's enjoying it. I fell in love with it. I wish I had done it a long time ago. Uh, it was the most fun I've had in nine years of being a head coach. Um, like I got, I got to have my own meeting. I got to have my own guys. Um, the kids responded really well. And I didn't approach it like, you know, I just went in there and told them, I said, guys, like, we haven't done a good enough job in this area, and it's my fault. It's not your fault. It's it's my fault. So let's go fix it. And, you know, we've got great kids over there that love Virginia Tech and a mix of scholarship guys and non-scholarship guys. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of fun, and I'm going to continue um, continue to do it. So the better look from the scout team was important, but Dax Holyfield, the linebacker, told us today that Tech essentially went back to running a lot of the Bud Foster defense, especially when it came to run defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said the guys were more comfortable, knew it better. Before, we don't need to relitigate the stuff with Hamilton, but in terms of what they're doing now, is that the right move to get back to something that they're comfortable with? It certainly was more effective Saturday. (laughs) It's a results-based business. So I would stick with with what works. And Hollifield indicated that he believes they will. That we'll see not the same strategy Saturday at Pittsburgh, but certainly a similar one. Yeah, makes sense. So then here's the question. Uh, Bigger concern for you going down the stretch with the Hokies, is it the offense or the defense? I'd still say it's the defense, Mike. Uh, I, you know, they, they only managed 24 points against Miami, but again, that's a really, really good defense over there on, on the hurricane sideline. So, you know, if, on my list of worries, if I'm Justin Fuente, I'd, I'd put the defense up there. And that's why I think he's going to continue running the scout team offense to, to, to give that D a better look in practice. 
Yeah, it only makes sense. We talk about head coaches being CEOs, and one of the CEO ideas is if there's a problem in your organization, you roll up your sleeves and, and can go get involved there and um, and deal with it. And, and that, you know, to his credit, I think that is what he's been doing. Um, now, to have a winning record, the Hokies, they're going to need this pit game, right? Because they've got Clemson, <laughs> they've got the rivalry, and this pit game is, is pivotal. Um, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's just... It's really difficult to envision Virginia Tech beating Clemson Mm -hmm. on December 5th because it certainly appears the Tigers will need that game to earn a rematch against Notre Dame for the ACC championship. So Clemson's going to have all kinds of motivation coming into Blacksburg, and they're simply better. And you add the motivation on top of it, that just seems too high a mountain for the Hokies to climb. So yes, if Virginia Tech aspires to a six and five regular season, then Saturday at Pittsburgh is essential. As will become the rivalry game with UVA. Mm-hmm. And that brings us neatly to this week's Who You Got. Thanks, Mike. It is Who You Got. The annual Virginia Virginia Tech football game won't happen until mid December, but if you had to pick right now a winner of the uh, annual Commonwealth Clash, who you got? Let's start with Mike. You know, for some of the reasons that David talked about with Tech, the defense, not knowing about Khalil Herbert and that hamstring, seeing the way UVA's defense is rounding into form right now, and and I reserve the right to change this pick <laughs> every week for the next three or four weeks. Uh, right now, I would take the Cavaliers. I think they're going to have the momentum. Um, I think their defense is going to be better by the time we get to that point. And I just don't know if Herbert is not going to be healthy, what Virginia Tech's offense is going to be. So it's pretty close to a coin toss at this point for me. So I'll go with the team that would have momentum in my eyes at that point. I'm going to go with Virginia. Okay, David. Mike, I agree. And it's recency bias, right? What have you seen in the last couple of weeks and what we've seen from Virginia are home victories over North Carolina and Louisville. And what we've seen from Virginia Tech are home setbacks to Liberty and, and Miami. So, yes, I, I if I were picking today, I would pick Virginia to win the Cup for a second consecutive season. So are either the Hoos or the Hokies a good bet this week? Let's ask our friend Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times. As he does each week, Aaron joins us now for his segment, A Max Puppy Chow. Aaron, how are you? Good, Mike. We lost our game again last week, not losing it uh, on, in terms of the points, but just losing it outright because of the, the COVID. Uh, we lost the Maryland game. Hopefully people read our picks online. My backup pick in Nebraska over Penn State came through with, with relative ease. So um, I'm going to go back to the well, man, with Maryland again. Uh, I'm going to take a minus six against an awful Michigan State team. Just they've been outrushed in every game this year, and not only does Maryland have Talia Tungavailoa, but they also have a pretty good running back, Jake Funk, who's averaging 112 rushing yards in his first three games this year. Uh, and the Terps are at home. I just feel like that minus six is is a pretty easy cover for this team. I know they weren't playing last week because of COVID. COVID's always a factor. But as long as it doesn't affect the quarterback or the running back, I think they'll be in decent shape. Well, that makes sense. I've got to admit that uh, I actually took Michigan State to beat Indiana last week as my upset. You referenced that uh, picks blog we do with 
uh, you, me, uh, Bennett Conlon, uh, David Teal, where we all try try our hand at doing what you do better than better than most of us, handicapping these games. I, I don't know. I guess I thought that Michigan State had just with their turnovers that they were just waiting to have a game where they put it together and didn't turn the ball over, but. Um, I should probably lose double for that pick because they were not competitive. Well, don't feel bad because I ended up taking Michigan that night um, <laughs> for a small play. That was even worse. Uh, it's just not a good time to be a, a Michigan or Michigan State player or coach right now. No, and, and it, it seems like every week we think maybe the Big Ten is it's ripe for upsets because the big-name programs are underdogs and are underdogs at home, but they're underdogs for a reason. Now, uh, Tell me, tell me as we as we look around the board, uh, ACC wise, do, do you have a, a best bet within the conference? I do, and I actually like this more than the Maryland pick. Uh, I'm going to take Liberty, and I know they're not an ACC team, but they're playing one. They're playing NC State, and they're looking to go three and zero in the ACC this season. Here's a fun fact for you, okay? Not only has Liberty covered its last five games. It's covered by a combined 63.5 points, meaning above the line. Uh, now, they got a nice 20-point juicing with the Hokie game you know, because they were 17-point dogs, one by three. But they've been just obliterating expectations in every way. NC State, I mean, they've kind of righted the ship. They're not, they're not bad. Um, but I, I just feel like um, Liberty's made a believer out of me. You know, we were – well, I was in the – I can't remember if you were there or not, but I was there <laughs> – yeah, I think you were there. Uh, we, when uh, the Hokies got beat by Liberty, and yeah. you say, well, you know, maybe they just got up for that one big game. But you know, they they went and, and dusted Western Carolina last week. Um, they're they're really rolling, and until they stop, I think you're still going to find a little bit of value on these lines, even though they're ranked. So, Aaron, why is it that you can figure that out from watching them play? I've kind of been converted. I think, okay, this team's for real. Why is Vegas slow to to buy into the Flames? I don't know. I, I, you know, it's just it, so much of the Vegas line making is about public perception, right? That's all it is, really. And you just see the name Liberty, and I know more people know about Liberty since Hugh Freeze got there, and the little number next to their name is going to help with a uh, public perception too. But I think, you know, you just see Liberty, and you, you know, Liberty as of four years ago was not was not on Vegas boards. So um, it's going to take some time for I think the public to to get on board with this team. And until that happens, Vegas is going to keep setting lines that they hope can get equal action on both sides. And when you're at playing at an ACC team that that hasn't performed poorly this year, I mean, NC State is six and two against the spread. I mean, they've been they've been a solid uh, bet this year. But, you know, they, they've been outrushed a bunch, and, and their defense is, is leaky. And, you know, Malik Willis is, is for real, man. He can beat you running the ball. He can beat you passing the ball. And I think, you know, uh, you know their de- the Liberty's defense has played pretty well this year. They're, at, they're averaging about 300 yards given up per game. That's not bad at all. I know the competition's not always the best, but um, they certainly played reputable defense, I thought, against the Hokies. And um, if they do that here, they will win again. Well, before we let you out of here, I'm not going to ask you about UVA and Abilene Christian. I don't even know where you go digging to find a line on a dog game like that. But uh, how about Virginia Tech going to Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh coming off the COVID cancellation. Virginia Tech coming off back-to-back losses. Uh, what do you see there? I tell you what, that Abilene Christian line is 39 and a half, if you're wondering. Uh, <laughs> I haven't spent a second breaking that down. Uh, the Hokies game, I'm telling you, man, 
Tech fans won't like hearing this, but they might agree with this, uh, the way they're feeling about their program right now. If Liberty wasn't my best bet, Pittsburgh would be my best bet. I mean, getting three and a half at home, Hokies are five, one and five against the spread in their last six road games. They, they don't play well on the road. Um, they're 0 and 6 in the last six meetings at Heinz Field. Um, we, we know all about the Heinz Field coach, uh, curse. That's against the spread, I should say, the 0 and 6 record. Uh, they did win one of those games. Uh, they're 2 and 10 against Pittsburgh against the spread in the last 12 meetings. And they don't play well against this team. And of course, with Pittsburgh, as Justin Fuente told us yesterday or Monday, um, you know, they're going to stack the box and, and, and dare Hendon Hooker to beat him. I think Hendon Hooker is a very capable passer, but uh, the strength of this team has been its run, rushing attack, and if you take that away, uh, that, that adds a lot of uh, mystery to what we're going to see out of this offense. That offensive line at Tech did not have a good week last week. This is not a good game to not have a good uh, uh, line play because uh, you will get wrecked by this Pittsburgh defense if you don't. I think the line will play better this week. But will be will it be enough? I don't I don't think so. I think Pittsburgh's going to win this game outright and uh, send Virginia Tech fans even into more of a uh, pandemonium. That was Aaron McFarling, columnist for the Roanoke Times, and that was his segment, AMAX Puppy Chow. David, we're, we're less than two weeks from what's expected to be the start of, of our college basketball season. We got some big basketball news this week. The, the NCAA announced that the tournament, March Madness, it's going to be held in one location, a, a bubble-type setup, if you will, in Indianapolis. What are your thoughts on the move? Mike, I think it's the only way that the NCAA can possibly stage a tournament. Um, Indianapolis is its preferred site. It has not finalized the deal, but Indianapolis is home to the NCAA. It is the perfect downtown setting, a lot of hotels. There are many basketball venues in and around Indianapolis. This way, the NCAA can essentially control the environment that, that teams are in. In a normal NCAA tournament, you're talking about 14 different cities. And this year, it would be in 14 different states. Mm-hmm. And yes, we may have one or even two vaccines by then, but you have to start planning now. And given the financial stakes, we talked about football earlier. The NCAA doesn't control college football. It does control college basketball, which produces 95% of its revenue from the tournament, from that TV contract with CBS and Turner, more than $700 million a year. It can't miss a second consecutive year of that tournament. It would, it would, be, a, it would be catastrophic financially for the NCAA. Yeah, it's funny. I had a friend reach out to me when this news broke, another sports writer, and he was curious. He said, do you think this is sobering news for fans or encouraging news for fans? And I struggled to answer the question because on the one hand, I think we all have that pie in the sky dream that by March, things are going to be back a little bit more normal. But I think we also know that that's probably not realistic at this point. So David, Mm -hmm. I'll pose the question to you. Is this news sobering, depressing, a downer, a bummer? Or is this news, hey, optimistic, there's going to be a tournament and we've got a plan for it? I would say optimistic. And and I think realistic, Mike. Remember when we had the Zoom late last week with Mike Young and Mm -hmm. I proposed the deal to him? You have scheduled 27 games and the NCAA says the minimum 
for NCAA uh, tournament eligibility is 13. Let's split the difference. If I guarantee you right now, you get 20 games in your regular season. And he immediately shot his hand up. He says, I'm signing up today. And I think every coach in the country would do that. They know how difficult a chore they're about to undertake. And to, to think that there, that there is going to be a tournament, regardless of limited or no fans, if, if, if they can have a one shining moment video and some confetti falling down and handing a trophy to someone, I, I think everyone in college basketball would rejoice at that. Well said. Yeah, you're right. There's a reason that the NCAA said 13-game minimum for the tournament. They understand that mm-hmm. <laughs> that you can say you want to play 20. You can say you want to play 27. You can schedule whatever you want. At the end of the day, it's unlikely <laughs> at best to get there. But hey, they're going to give it a shot. They're going to give it a shot here pretty soon, David, a couple weeks, and we're going to have games to talk about. Uh, so for right now, and knowing that there's a tournament plan in place, I think it's something we can look forward to. Absolutely. We're talking about we're talking about a week from tomorrow, man. College basketball starts a week from tomorrow. Welcome back. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts by finding the RTD Podcast channel, and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at Richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week.